You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders, for coders, about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Brace yourself. The whiteboard question is coming. This week, we continue the getting a job series with a discussion of strategies and base knowledge levels for the dreaded whiteboard questions, or in more modern times, online coding challenges. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, uh... (laughs) Our the, the project I'm working on is going to UAT at the end of the week. Um, I have about 20 bugs left, some of which I can delegate, and some of them I think are really server config. So, so just a little <coughs> whoop, whoop for that. Yeah. You know, it's Monday night. I've already worked nine and a half hours. After you leave here, I'll probably work another two. I just, I want this project out the door. Um, we're, we're getting to the point now where we're not really noticing, you know, being da- down a man because everybody's kind of planning a little bit better. It, it's, it's stung us a little bit. It's not as bad as it looked like it was going to be initially. Um, in the meantime, I also got an email last week and I'm going to be speaking at DevSpace in Huntsville in October. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I just requested time off to come down to it. Nice. So uh, if you happen to be down that way, uh, you know, come by. And I think we'll be probably talking about that a little bit more as we go on. Yeah. And for those of you that are here in Nashville that come to our meetup that is actually on uh, the second Saturday. So we will be down there. And so the meetup will be down there for anybody that can make it. <laughs> nice. I didn't really, I didn't think about that, but that that is the case. Yeah. And to get a 10% discount, use the code complete dev or follow the link in the show notes. Again, that's dev space in Huntsville, Alabama on October 13th and 14th. And also if you're in Nashville, um, I'll be at Nashville Software School going over how to deal with whiteboard problems. Um, and I probably will make that a recurring thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't be worried if you missed it. Um, so, yeah, that that's pretty much it other than, you know, it being my daughter's birthday today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she um, she plowed through. She decided today that like she wanted to eat lunch. Like, okay, cool. She wanted sushi. Cool. Sounds right. Yeah, that's part of the course. Tuna roll. She wanted the raw sushi. I don't know that my wife overly likes the idea of her eating raw fish but you know she she ate it and she likes it so yeah hey kid kind of takes after me on that yeah so so how about you you were talking about uat we've been in the process of moving a couple of apps to uat production the past few weeks i've been mentioning it uh it's been a bit hectic as these are kind of the first of a new generation of apps to go out We've kind of changed the way that we've been, well, I say we, I came on during this process, but they've changed the way that we're doing things. And uh, these have both a customer facing and an employee facing side and use several of our microservices or internal services that have recently been built and are on the other side of the firewall. Right. So it's been interesting. So it hits the web it hits the front end web server and then it fans out into the back end services. Yes, which exactly. Which is I really like that kind of architecture because you only have one place for bad things to come through. I like that architecture. What I don't like is when some of the services aren't finished and we're expected to use them. Oh yeah. And changes keep getting made by the people working on that service that break things. Right. You can't you can't use a service until it's up to V1. Yeah. You just you can't. You can't consume it. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's and and that's long life experience has taught me that doesn't work. Well, that's some of the learning pains that we've that we've been going through and yeah. we're we're learning that, you know. Yeah. Same way I learned it, really. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, <laughs> you and- learn to be flame retardant when you catch on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting that we're talking about whiteboard interviews this week as we're currently interviewing for a junior developer position at work. And uh, I am not involved in the process as I know quite a few of the applicants. Yeah. Because of that, I'm not involved in the interview process. Yeah. Cause I mean, it is kind of a squirrely place to be when you're, when they're bringing on somebody that, you know, like if, if you know the one candidate out of 10, 
that's one thing and you can kind of vouch for them and all that and you might could be in the interview but when you're when you know most of them for one thing it's going to chew up your day yeah um, but the other thing is is whoever loses out you know that, that kind of creates personal yeah and that's the thing there. when when i was talking to my boss because I, every position that we've had for a developer spot i've known someone applying yeah and so i haven't been part of it and she asked if i want she's like well i guess yeah, it doesn't matter at this point. Do you want to be part of it? And I said, well, I know too many people. Yeah. I, I don't want to be involved in two or three people's interviews and only one of them get the job. Right. Especially when it's not really my decision. Right. Because, I mean, it, it just can backfire on you. Um, you should probably go for, like, referral fees, though, or something. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to figure out how to profit off of this and not step in it. That, that's true. That's, that's true. But uh, also, since we're talking about whiteboards, I have something interesting from a maker of interactive whiteboards for IOTs. So let's go ahead and roll the music. This week for IOTs, I'm going to talk about cognitive whiteboards from Rico that use IBM Watson. While these are not for the average IoT builder or user, you might be able to see something like this in a corporate or educational environment. Rico has incorporated IBM Watson's Natural Language Classifier API into their interactive whiteboards. The idea here is to create more efficient meetings through the use of technology. One way it does that is language translation. So if you are in the U.S. and talking to clients in Iceland, it will translate what they see that you write on the whiteboard. Now, this could be good or bad. Yeah. Depending on how well the translations work and how well you know your idioms. Yeah. uh, I've always wondered how you do machine translation from English to languages that are um, a bit more gendered and, ha- you know, like they have like in Icelandic, for instance, the verbs are gendered, the nouns are gendered, you know, it, like, and you have to get it exactly right. And it's not completely intuitive. And there's lots of weird edge cases. And so it'd be interesting to see how well that does. Um, yeah. So if anybody's in Iceland and we can find somebody with one of these boards, <laughs> we will try it. Yeah, that would be awesome. So, if one of our listeners wants to hook us up on that. Cool. <laughs> uh, you guys can find out more about that through the link in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Uh, well, we got a comment on the Improving Your Listening Skills episode from Elvis Brockman. It says, I'm not sure where you're getting your information, but great topic. I need to spend some time learning much more or understanding more. Thanks for magnificent info. I was looking for this information. Well, hey, thanks, Elvis. Uh, check out the links at the bottom of the show notes for more on where we get our information um, also, send us an email with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Google+, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and we're also on Path and Tumblr. We're continuing the series on getting a job by talking about one of the most stressful parts of the interview. A lot of developers are great when they're in front of a computer with their IDE, but you put them in front of an interviewer or a group of them, and they get really nervous and make stupid mistakes. Especially if going out for the first job or even the first one in a new language or framework. Yeah, or if they've been at a previous job for like two or three years. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't, like, this is not how we interact normally with a whiteboard. That's true. You get thrown in there. You know, it might work. Speak for yourself. We have whiteboards on all the walls at work now. And that is how we interact. We go up and we write it out on the whiteboard. Yeah, we, ours mainly have caddy comments on them. (laughs) (laughs) The occasional thing gets drawn out, but it's not code. It's like. Yeah, it's it's rarely ever code. Occasionally, I'll go up there and like when I'm trying to explain something, I'll I'll write a little bit of pseudocode out and people will see what I'm saying through that. Uh, But mostly it is like architectural stuff. In this episode, we'll attempt to relieve some of this stress by walking you through the process. We'll talk about why this is important and then some specifics on whiteboard questions and coding challenges. So starting out, why are we talking about this? Because uh, 
there, uh, it's it's hard not to go on a rant here because the whiteboarding phenomenon is yet another attempt in a long series of attempts to fix the hiring process for software developers. Um, when I was coming up, we had like they would give you like a list of questions and you had to be able to like it was like multi-choice. I mean, this is, you know, circa, you know, circa 2000, like around that time period, that's the way they handled it. And and the reason is a, a pretty sizable chunk of the population that is in software development doesn't have a degree. They've not been through a code camp. You know, there's a lot of people that learn this on their own because you can. Um, yeah. You, I mean, you that's the way the I 90s. got into it. You could in the 90s when you had to order a book. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you go to the bookstore, you find out. What books are available by, you know, oh, by the way, you find out by like magazine ads and things like the internet wasn't the I thing. Know, I, was, then. I was around and, then. I remember. Yeah. And so you like order the book at the bookstore and you have it shipped to you and then you go through it. Like I, I, I went through visual basic books that way and I went through I, access VBA books that way. I, I went through C++ books that way. Yeah. I, and I, I still, I, I tell her this. Or you go to the big city and you go to the university bookstore. Oh yeah. I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see. So okay. So a couple of things. One, I um, my aunt when I was in high school bought me a couple of beginner C plus plus books, and she is the most technically unsavvy person in my family, other than my grandmother. Right. And yet she had heard me talk about it and remembered well enough that for my birthday she bought me a couple of books. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know, and that that to me that was really awesome, but. They were actually really good books. I went through them and I learned a lot. Yeah, see, I earned the money for mine by picking up rocks out of the yard <laughs> for like $2 an hour. Oh, wow. Like you put them in a wheelbarrow, dump them in the pond. Go pick up more rocks, put them in a wheelbarrow, dump them in the pond. So, just say it took a little while. Yeah. But anyway, like for a very long time, you've been able to learn programming concepts on your own. That's It's never been all that easy. I think it's a lot better now than it used to be, but it's still... You know, it's not a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. But that said, a whole lot of people manage to do that. Well, how do they prove their skill? Well, crap, we can't we can't evaluate developers very well in a full-time job when they're sitting in front of you. Like to go, you know, okay, I've got two good developers. Okay, I may know they're good and I may know which one's better, but I can't quantify that. I just have kind of this fuzzy, you know, kind of throw it at the wall kind of way of evaluating. And so when I have developers come in and they interview I'm even more blind to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where all this stuff comes from. And so they end up, um, they end up basically building a set of, you know, initially they built like the set of questions, at least, you know, when I was coming up and then every, all these websites started having little lists of questions. And so you just went through and you, you know, you learned the answers basically. You, know, you reviewed it and you made sure that you could hit those points, but you'd get candidates in there that just, you know, they came into the interview, they passed it with flying colors and you put them in front of an IDE and nothing gets done. And six or eight weeks later, you finally let them go after you've lost your high end and your project's behind. No, nah, but they've they've made enough money and spent enough time there that yeah. they can move on to another job. Yeah, and they may have actually learned enough to you know at the next job that they're okay. Yeah, they may be able to make it, um, especially like in the boom right around two thousand. Yeah, or um, you know a little bit later, like right before two thousand eight, and now it's starting to kind of come back around the same way. But basically, it's very, very hard to judge the skill of a developer effectively at an industrialized scale, which is what you need for hiring. As a result of that, what what ends up happening is, is you have these maladjusted ways of evaluating them, and then you have people learning how to game that system. Because now the, the interviewees are incented to figure out how to pass. It's like standardized testing in schools, yeah. honestly. Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly what's happening right now, right? Like, you know, there's the whole teaching to the test phenomenon or the accusation thereof. And by the way, how do you tell the difference between a kid that was taught to the test and a kid that actually knows? Well, you don't do it with the test. Mm -hmm. So you see the problem. Well, it seems like interviewing for tech jobs has been broken for quite a long time. It's hard to prove tech skills and, you know, in an interview that lasts an hour or two, and especially when, like you said, the field can be crowded with poor candidates. Yeah, especially um, at the lower levels. Like right now, the thing that's going around is, you know, development. You know, there's a lot of money in it. And there is. There's there's a ton of money in it. And there was in 2000 and there was in, you know, right before 2008. You know, as the market gets irrational and it's not really a 
bubble. It's just kind of foamy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to put it. And, you know, you get a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because it pays a lot. Well, it pays a lot, but there's a lot to it. And a lot of people really want the pay and they don't want to, to own the work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And so they don't do well. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people like that. <sighs> yeah. I've worked with people like that. I've had to carry those people on my team. At pretty much every job I've had, honestly, at some point, I, I think I've carried somebody. I've if, heard if it lasted. said about people that they just wanted a job, so they got into development thinking it would be easy. Yeah. Yeah. And this, these are the type of people that they go out and they do a few tutorials, and they don't ever delve into the harder stuff. Right. Which, I mean, you could do that, right? Like, you, you can just get into the tutorials and get the bare top skill level. And then you go be a conference speaker. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we know a few of those too. Um, Said by the guy who is going to be speaking for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like I have the bare minimum knowledge to be doing that after how many years? Yeah. Um, but I mean, it is. It's it's just hard to to prove your skill, and and you end up with situations like multiple interviews and like hours and hours and hours of stuff because they don't have a good heuristic. Um, and then you get turned down because, Hey, they had, you know, this company spent how, you know, how many people came in 50 and they did this with maybe a third of them, you know, the top third and they hired one guy. Oh, exactly. Who's the boss's nephew, probably. <laughs> you know, like, he's got some connection because the boss is just like, okay, come on in. Cause I can't, I can't lose six staff for two months. You know, trying to hire somebody. Mm-hmm. At, 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 by the way, they're paying by the minute. So, yeah, it just—it's a horrendously busted process. I can't—I can't emphasize enough just how it's—it's it's terrible because it's the worst thing that works. It's the worst thing that works. It's the best thing that we have. Yeah, at the it's, moment, it's one of those things where, while it is horrible and it has lots of flaws, it's the best we've got to work with. Right. You know, and the problem is it makes job searching painful and possibly very expensive if you're out of work. Yeah. And I know a couple of developers that are out of work right now and they're Mm -hmm. going through the hiring process and even at at the senior level, you know, when you've you've got a trail of experience behind you, you know, you've got to get through all these interviews and it's 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 hard. Well, you remember when I was going through the process? Yeah, it it took you months. Yeah. And, you know, and bear in mind, you know, you had my network. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, we're starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. It's it's rough. The thing about this is, though, broken processes can be hacked to your advantage. Broken processes must be hacked to your advantage. Yeah. I I didn't put the right word in the outline. My bad. (laughs) Um, I mean, if you if you know what the employer is actually looking for, you know, versus what they're asking for, you're ahead of like 90 percent of the people out there. Because they'll say certain things and they mean other things. Yes. Whiteboarding is a means to, it's basically a means to try to scale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a process. It, it's not a good filtering mechanism. Like you got a lot of, a lot of basically junk that you got to filter out. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's extremely busted. And that's why you want to, you know, when you're having to explain these things, you have to explain them at length. Mm-hmm. And also if you're prepared in advance for the routine, the interview is a much easier process to survive. Right. Because you don't get nervous. Yeah. Um, especially if you, if you do like, uh, you know, you did. Because, you know, like you got a jerk of a friend that'll interview you. Until you're, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I remember th- I threw an eraser at your head. Yeah. Because I was, I was like, you are not going to flinch when you go into a whiteboard interview because there's nobody that's going to be as bad. <laughs> that's <laughs> and I know true. That, that sounds horrendous to anybody that's listening, but holy crap, did it help? It had oh, it, to have. It really did. Like when I went into an interview, I know I had one interview that they made me a job offer after I'd already taken the job that I have now. But uh, I had an interview at a place that I could not remember a certain method call. To do a sort. Yeah. So without missing a beat, I said, I can't remember the exact method call, but here's what it does. And I described a bubble sort to him. Right. <laughs> and it was the, well, it was dot order by yeah. and link. Cause mm-hmm. you'd also been doing stuff in JavaScript and SQL. Yeah. And it was just too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I think I told him, I was like, I can remember how to do this in JavaScript, but I can't remember how to do it in, in C sharp. Yeah, it just like it, it was not there, but I I explained what it did such to such a way that the the one guy who had been just like riding me the whole interview, yeah, suddenly became on my side. Yeah, 
like that impressed him so much that he came to my defense a couple of times so I didn't understand like certain terms where it's just like all right if you don't have a CS degree you're not going to know what these terms are right kind of thing and he he stopped the guys that were asking he's like wait, wait he's not coming from a CS background and he explained it and I'm like oh yeah I can describe that I can talk about it so right. you know having that can help you kind of flip the script on an interview yeah and I know you've been on both ends of it yes and, and it's actually it- honestly feels a lot worse from the interviewing end than the interviewee mm-hmm. because the, you know, like you, you screw up on the interview, like, you know, you're going to be right back in this same room. Yeah. Whereas the interviewee goes, whoo, I got away. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's the way it feels anyway. It pro- it's, it's not really that way from the other end, but it's just like, it feels like a much more monumental screw up. Well, while I have been, I have interviewed people for, for jobs not in the tech field. I have yet to do a tech interview where I, I gave someone a whiteboard question. Now, I have given some at our developer launchpad meetups. Right. And walked people through those. Uh, I think the most interesting was our friend Chang that uh, did it in Python. Yeah. And both of us are like, all right, walk me through what you did. Yeah. Because <laughs> neither one of us really know Python. Yeah. And we learned some pretty cool stuff from him, though. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and that's a special case, right? Yeah, it like, is, yeah. It's, you, got, you got two hillbillies basically interviewing this Vanderbilt PhD data science. <laughs> like, like we, we're, we're basically post-turtles. You know what a post-turtle is, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it's a turtle on top of a fence post. Like, he didn't get there himself. He shouldn't be there, and he's screwed for being there. <laughs> that's where yeah. we were. <laughs> But he seemed to really enjoy it. He he said he got a lot out of it because it gave him practice just doing it. Yeah. And and walking through it. Speaking of practice, the great thing about this is you can practice for these parts of the interview. You know, I was asked by one of the guys that is going through the interview process about, you know, how to prepare yeah. for for it. And I told him he kind of asked me about it too. Yeah, <laughs> and, but my response was, yeah, if you're if you're doing code codas like you should, you'll be fine. And I told him my code cata story I've shared on here a few times. I'll probably tell it again th- somewhere in this episode. Yeah, but uh, it's coming, folks. Yeah, it is. But his response was, "What's a code cata?" And and this is someone that he's he's new to the field. He just uh, finished up a boot camp, and so he wasn't familiar with it. And I pointed him in in the direction, but. What I'm getting at here is that the technical side of interviewing, it's really the easiest part to practice. Yeah. You, know, you, you want to get into the habit of doing code katas or challenges on a regular basis. And we had an entire episode just on code katas. Yeah. And this is why. Another thing you can do, and this is something Will kind of hinted at a little bit, is something I did, which was look up technical interview questions in your area of expertise. Yeah, because you got to also bear in mind that a lot of the people that are going to be interviewing you are either um, HR people that don't know or developers who are lazy. And, right? and so they're going to have a set of questions and they're going to find those by Google. The other thing, too, is even if they don't do that, by researching those questions, it's going to make you more comfortable. Yeah. So you may not get the exact question, but you may get something similar. Because there's only a finite amount of information that a junior developer should know or that you can know about a a thing. I know I had one interview where there was one question that they'd given me kind of this short answer form. And I looked at it and I'm like, I have no clue. So I wrote on there, I could look this up on my phone, but my ethics won't let me. So I'll do it when I get home. Right. (laughs) And the one interviewer who's Two senior devs were, were doing the interview. They One guy looked at it. He just started laughing. I told him, I said, the, the phone part? He's like, yep. He, he hands it to the other guy. He's like, well, just read it to him. He's like, no, no, no. You got to read this for yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, apparently, the guy that, that read it and laughed and handed it to the other one, he looks at me. He's like, man, I had to look that one up myself. He asked that. I don't know where he got that question from. <laughs> Yeah. And they they ended up telling me the whole purpose of that question was to see if I would admit I didn't know it. Yeah. And you and know, I ask those kind of questions too. Yeah. And that's that's part of the technical interview. Uh, you can prepare for some of this by creating a review sheet of the common questions. What I would do is I would go if they were a an Angular shop with C sharp, I would go and create a review sheet for Angular and one for C sharp where I'd look up a couple of different sets of questions and I'd find the common ones across the board 
and I just create this review sheet or ones that I thought this is really important. I should know it. Yeah. That I could go over the night before. Uh, another way to do this is to create flashcards. Now, mind you, I came into this straight out of med school. So everything I did was review sheets and flashcards. <laughs> straight out of med school. You ought to make a parody. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to make a parody of that now because that's yeah. going to be a thing <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the first thing we're going to talk about is whiteboards the whiteboard interview process you and i have both been through this quite a few times actually yeah me too uh the the most recent time was the one where i interviewed for the job i have now and it was almost an afterthought. It was like the the interview went so well, we were getting up to leave when when he said, "Oh, by the way, would you mind doing this?" Yeah, it's like he stood up and saw it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you'll be given a problem that should be solvable in less than an hour at most. Really, hopefully a few minutes. But I was gonna say I have not had any that were more than if. If I was that spent much time on the whiteboard, it was multiple questions. It was like solve this one, they'd erase it, and then write another one up there. Yeah, I've I've heard tales of some pretty nasty interview processes at hmm. some of the really big companies in the industry. I mean, like you're not going to go like if it's Joe's Software Shop, you know, they're not going to do this to you. But you go to some of the bigger players. Okay. Um, you know, like Google interviews, for instance, are supposedly just horrendously rough, and so are Microsoft ones. I'm not surprised that they they want yeah they want the top notch thing and they want you to they want to really really prove it because they have a lot of applicants and so they have a lot of applicants and they there's a lot on the line for them yeah and, and at a more junior level it's going to be easier yeah you know and that might be why I've not seen some of the longer ones is because I was applying for junior positions right I've yet to apply for a senior position so when I do eventually I, I will probably see some of these longer whiteboard unless we have by that time a better system right you know which will probably be it'll probably be even worse <laughs> you know <laughs> like, yeah. interviewing's hard bro so yeah it is it's just rough um so the problems that they give you on these typically will have some relevance to the sort of problems the organization typically deals with um if they're any good at this this kind of stuff um i know on my interview where i work i got nailed on all kinds of sequel stuff you know like how do you deal with cursors which is an old like you try not to do those but they're they're in our database you know a lot of uh really nasty joins and those kind of things um i got grilled on uh gdi plus programming like you know dealing with windows you know the windows api um at a low level um just yeah. a, a lot of those kind of things you know growth rates of algorithms i mean like i got hit with a bunch of nasty oh, of course wow. One of the things was a mutual friend of ours, one of the guys interviewing me, They'd, ha I think they'd been through a number of candidates and a number of employees in the past that couldn't, that said they could do things and couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they raked me over the coals on that. So now I passed, obviously, because I've been working there for almost two years. Yeah. And that's, you know what, you're going to see places like that. Yeah. And if you're not at that level or you're not ready for that. That's perfectly fine. Right. It's just a way of knowing, hey, this isn't the right place for me. Yeah. Whereas if you are ready for it, you should absolutely relish the fact to prove that. You know, the yeah. The time to prove that. That's very true. That's very true. You'll start solving the problem on the board. Occasionally, you'll be prompted by the interviewer with questions or if you if they notice that you're kind of taking some time getting stuck somewhere, they, they may kind of push you in one direction or another. Right, because most of the interviewers, I mean, they got interviewed this way too, and they they know what parts are rough. Like you don't typically, if you made it to the interview process and you haven't made a bad impression, these people are on your side to some degree. Now they may yeah. they may have another candidate they prefer, but like they're not hostile most of the time. You get one or two that are, but it's not you know, yeah. Like like I said earlier, it was through the whiteboard that I got one of the guys on my side. Yeah, and I've done that in a few interviews too, where mm -hmm. I've you know gone in there and gotten somebody on my side that didn't want to hire me. Yeah. Um, because, you know, because of the contact that got me the job or that got me the interview was mm -hmm. the CEO that they kind of thought was hiring a lot of cronies. Yeah. And then it turned out that it's like, well, no, this guy 
this guy's legit. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is time, the interviewer will look at your completed solution and then prompt you to make it more elegant in some cases. <laughs> um, yeah. Which I know you had a problem with that on your whiteboard interview where you work right now because they were, I think they were planning on doing that to you. And then you just like whipped out a one liner that the interviewer just looks at and goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he looked at it and he, he just kind of, he, he stumbled over his words and I said, did I do it wrong? Is it, is it bad? And he's like, I've never seen anybody solve it that way before. Yeah. He's like, usually it takes two or three iterations just to get to that point. Right. He's like, there's nothing I can ask you to do to make it better because that's exactly the best way to do it. Yeah. And that's what I told him. I was like, well, the reason I kind of chuckled when I saw it is I'd been doing this exact same thing as a code kata for the last week and a half. Yeah. And so I had worked it down to where I could do this in one line of code, which is why I really am a huge proponent of code katas. Because it makes a big difference. And having you know mentorship as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because if you have someone that can walk, can sit there with you as you work your way through and earlier on, you would help me out. Right. And further down the line, you got less helpful and more interviewer. Yeah. And then eventually I got to the point where it's like, then you got like mean. (laughs) Yeah. Then I just got completely mean because it, it it was, it was conditioning, you know, where you could just go through it. Um, you know, I had an interview um, and the next time that I need to interview for a job, I will be over here at the whiteboard. Yeah. For a lot of time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, but, you know, I, I had an interview and it's been, good grief, it's been 10 years or more. You know, they brought me in and I had to answer a SQL question on the board. And they were asking me how to join two tables. And I said, well, it depends on what you're trying to get out of it, right? Because, like, you know, it, it was like people and addresses. And I said, well, if you want the people with their addresses, you use an inner join. But if you want the people that don't have addresses, you want a left outer join and then where you know, some column and the other one's null. And if you want the addresses that are orphaned and they don't have people associated with them anymore, you do a right adder join. And if you want all the possible combinations, you want a cross join. So which one do you want? And the interviewer looks at me for a second. And he goes, okay, so we're going to scrap all the SQL questions. You got this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, like, like, look at these as an opportunity. Like it sucks, but you can, you can jump way above everybody else if you, if you do this right. And that's, that's what we both have done plenty of times. Mm-hmm. It's probably important here to start to talk about the goals that the interviewer has, because this is what people seem to be getting wrong when they get all freaked out about the whiteboard. The biggest thing is to show that you actually know how to think programmatically. In other words, you can get inside the computer's head because you have to do that all day, every day. But another big one is to show that you can clearly communicate your ideas. Like you can explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. You you might be you might be building a search algorithm, like in your example. Okay, you did bubble sort. We understood a, a search algorithm, and you can explain what you were doing. You didn't do a quick sort, which would have been a you know would have been more efficient. But you still showed, hey, I know how a search algorithm works, and I can you know, I can explain it on the board. What's going on here? Like that's what they're looking for. Finally, they really want to see how you respond to feedback on your ideas. You know how you work with the team. Yeah, because you could be right and they could be wrong, but the way that you explain it makes a huge difference. If they go, why didn't you use quicksort? It's like, well, the data set's four items. You know, the growth rate's not going to make enough difference in the execution time. And oh, by the way, this is in a linked list, so I can just change the pointers. Mm-hmm. I'm not moving items in memory. So, yeah. so, you know, nobody really cares as much. You know, it's not like I'm reallocating an array. Exactly. Like, if you can yeah. explain it that way and go, hey, look, and you can do it without maybe the the cattiness even that I explained just mm-hmm. now, um, that that will go a lot further than anything else. Exactly. So, as we mentioned earlier, you can practice for whiteboard interviews. Yep. You know, look up common whiteboard problems for your language or framework or the languages that you work in and practice doing them like they're code katas. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about my... Whiteboard interview multiple times. I think I've talked about it pretty thoroughly on this episode, but Code Katas helped me out big time there. The other thing is get a whiteboard to practice on. Yeah. And if you can't get a whiteboard because reasons, I'm not sure what those would be because whiteboards are cheap. Yeah. Um, If you can't get a whiteboard, printer paper will work. Write it in the dirt. Yeah. Okay. Like if you look at, um, just, just as an aside, 
one thing I hear from a lot of American programmers is I can't do this. I can't do this because of these reasons. If you talk to a programmer from Africa, those people figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. And I, I legitimately think there's probably a, a couple of dozen programmers who are going to change the world in Africa right now doing whiteboard problems with sticks in the dirt because they're That's motivated. Yeah. yeah. And let me tell you something. Those people are going to change things and you know, like don't, don't, don't let anything stop you. Just figure out how to make it work. Exactly. Also, explain it to someone, even if they're not technically savvy. Especially if they're not technically savvy. Yeah. You can use a rubber duck, but it is so much better to get used to doing these in front of real people. Right. You know, there is something about explaining things to people, especially when they don't know already. Right. And having having the ability to put that into metaphor. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I, I swear, I think that's gotten to be my... Like, I, I didn't realize how valuable that was until people have told me that. Because I do have to explain stuff a lot of times to non-technical people. And I've gotten pretty good at it. Well, see, this this is something that comes very naturally to me. And to me, too. I We grew up... We grew up Church of Christ, and you know you have all the you know you have all the parables and stuff from the Bible, and so you yeah. learn that hey, this is a good way to get points across to people. It really is. It, it's like we went to a private Christian school that drilled that idea in our heads, and of all the things they taught us, that's probably one of the most useful things that I gained from college and just from growing up in that mentality is the use of parable. Yeah. And metaphor. So, a few important things to realize in order to win when it comes to whiteboard interviews. Whiteboard tests do not show how productive you're going to be when you're actually using an IDE. Um, we, you know, whiteboards don't compile. Um, so, it's a completely different skill set, different different habits and all that. They're also Unless very- you have a smart whiteboard. Right. You know, <laughs> which uh, I'm sure we'll probably put an affiliate link up. I'm, I'm kidding. We're too lazy to do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, whiteboards are whiteboard problems are also very highly reliant on memory. And if you're using a modern IDE, you're not. Mm-hmm. I've done C Sharp in Notepad and I've compiled on the command line because I was on a road trip and Visual Studio decided that I didn't have a license, even though I did. Long story, long time ago. But you don't do that normally. <laughs> yeah, this is not thing. This is not a thing that a normal person does. <laughs> it just ticked me off enough. Like that's so. It's, it's re- you're relying on memory, and you know your memory really has very little to do with how productive you are at coding because you have tools that help you. You also have Google most of the time. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to be in an air gapped computer writing Visual Studio code for one thing. NuGet isn't going to work. Yeah, like all your package managers don't work with no internet connection. So you're probably okay now a few things like yeah you're gonna have to have enough you know enough common sense to go okay well if i'm doing low level there may be some things that i have to actually remember like the Mm -hmm. lower level you probably do higher level not as much it it depends on where you are and what you're doing really yeah because if you're doing embedded that's another can of worms oh yeah or if you're doing kernel (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah like this is the kind of guys that you sit there and you go okay well why don't you just um why don't you attach a debugger to it and they look at you and you go, okay, that's that's fair. Why don't you dump the stack and they look at you? You go, why don't you write it to disk? And they look at you. They go, well, couldn't you dump it out to screen? And they look at you and they go, no, it didn't happen. Why? That, that like that like That's all they have. So mm-hmm. those people, yeah, they're going to rely on memory. That's fine. Normal people, well, probably that's, not. That's the thing. This, this and most of our episodes are not really designed for them. Yeah, we need um, to get a, like a super low level programmer on here to explain the differences. Yeah, I mean our our going low in a high level language helped a little bit with that. It helped me at least. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. Someone <laughs> that's not low. No, that's not. <laughs> no, like getting someone that that does the the kind of stuff that somebody that messes with a kernel. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that sits there and goes, well, I have, I ha- you know, I always have to, I have trouble remembering how to do this with mutexes. <laughs> when you have somebody that says stuff like that, this is a different game for y'all. Yep. But for most developers, you know, the whiteboard problems are very reliant on memory, and your day-to-day is not as much. Mm-hmm. If you're doing whiteboard interviews, your personality is a much bigger asset than it is in a coding challenge. Like, right, because how do you express personality in a coding challenge? What, you got ASCII representations of dragons or something? I mean, what are you going to do? 
variable names. Yeah, variable names. <laughs> like tell a story <laughs> with your variable names. There was a guy I worked uh, I went to school with that uh, would do that with with his variable names, and he would tell a story. Can't say I've never done that. And they were usually fairly foul. <laughs> Can't say I've never done that. Can't say I haven't either. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, your your personality, your ability to interact with people, your soft skills that we talked about last week. Well, that's what they're testing. Yeah. That that's that's going to come into play more here, more with the whiteboard because you're doing this not. I'm creating code and sending it to someone to review. You are writing it in front of people, explaining it to them as you go along. Yeah. So your personality is very important when it comes to this. Now we're going to get into coding challenges. Yeah. Coding challenges, I think, is probably the next phase after whiteboard interviews because mm-hmm. um, it's starting to kind of it's starting to kind of hit a little bit. Well, like where I work, we do both. Well, and that's good because it gets people that maybe are a little socially awkward or nervous. They can go home, you know, it, like the most brilliant programmers you ever meet. A lot of times they, they can't get on a whiteboard and, and do things. They're, they're, I know people that are way smarter than I am that just bomb whiteboards. And so this is intended, you know, coding challenges are intended to give them some means to get into the, you know, get into the job. Yeah, typically you'll do this on site or remotely via remote desktop. Right. Now, I've had some that I've done where I actually was on the phone with, it was a guy that I actually contracted in to do interviews. Right. And it was in the evening. We had a shared screen and he told me the challenge and I worked it out. And it was, it wasn't JS Fiddle as well. It was like, it was oh, a, yeah. it was a like online IDE that right. you could use. And I've had to, you know, I've, I've done this before, um, you know, with, with some of the recruiters we know that they've had clients that have had a, you know, coding challenge that they give to candidates and none of the candidates were passing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I've had recruiters pay me to go and take that and go, okay, you know, evaluate it for the client. And of course, you know, like <laughs> I did one and they're like, okay, this will probably take 30 minutes to an hour. <laughs> I did it one line of code. <laughs> it was, um, it, it was, you know, like I, I told the interviewer, I said, Hey, you know, like since I'm evaluating this, you know, and I'm a senior developer and I said, you mind if I have a beer while I do this? Cause I just got home and, you know, and we kind of chat while we're doing it. And I, I did it one line. The guy goes, you looking for work? <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. but you know, I was kind of, I was kind of talking to him about his process and, and that that's what the intent was, was to get people that could actually code versus people that could pass whiteboard problems. No, no. Other times they just send you the problem to do. Yeah. Um, I had one like this um, for a company here in town and I really, really want to interview the owner of this company because I did not pass that interview. Uh, and it was legit. It was it was JavaScript, and it was more than I was capable of then. I could do it now. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure. In fact, I still have the question somewhere, I think. Essentially, they give you a software problem to solve, and you code up the answer. And what's weird about, about these is they will judge you on comments, even though their own source code probably doesn't have any. <laughs> that is one thing yeah. you do have to kind of watch, because um, it's also not a good mirror of what the reality is. Like you mm-hmm. got to bear in mind, these are, these are simulations. I would say that kind of depends on whether or not it's timed. Yeah. Cause sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. And if it's timed, you're not going to have as much time to go in and put in comments. Right. We well, write, you write through the problem first. And then if you have time left over, you go back and comment and then yeah. you look like you're fastidious, even though you're totally not. <laughs> Cause you're <laughs> yeah. just trying to, you know, use up the time. Um, exactly. Yeah. I, I hate to sound kind of jaundiced about these, but like, I, I do feel like it's still broken. You know, it, it's possible to use Google while doing this in a lot of cases. Sometimes it's expected. Right. Um, and the one that I got sent there, you know, that I bombed on, I had Google. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It whooped me. Um, and I, like I got, I got halfway through it. I knew I wasn't gonna make it. Mm-hmm. I still finished it, but <laughs> You'll typically not be prompted or prodded along while doing this, um, unless it's done live, like I was talking about where I had I was on the call with the guy and screen sharing. And honestly, even then, he didn't really prompt or prod me that much until I got stuck on something. It was like the third or fourth one that he gave me that yeah. I got stuck on. And I was like, kind of trying to remember the syntax and stuff. And he, he kind of prodded me along on that. So Yeah. <laughs> 
the other thing that um like i don't know that i've ever been prodded along very much on these but one thing i've noticed that they try to do with these kind of coding challenges is they're also measuring your ability to work remotely uh, because this is something that's used a lot in jobs that allow you to work remote or allow you to work disconnected. So if yeah. it's a company that's completely okay with you taking your laptop and going to the coffee shop because, you know, idiots are playing foosball in the office and it's loud, um, they, they want to test your ability to work remote and to be kind of autonomous. And so they'll do these kind of questions for that reason as well. If you are given a coding challenge, there are quite a few goals for the interviewer. First off, they want to see that you can solve an actual software development problem using actual tools. Yeah. And I mean, I've even, I even had one where it was live. I sat down at a desk and I solved a problem in their code base that they'd found that day. That's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that really is. That contract was good too. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. They also typically want to see that you can solve a problem using a particular tool chain and language rather than looking for general development thought processes. Like your whiteboard interviews, those tend to look at the way you think about things and the way you solve problems. This is looking at how you use the tools to solve the problem. Right. Like for instance, if you're, you know, if you're interviewing for a JavaScript job, um, but it's it's heavily influenced by Angular, they're going to expect that you are going to solve a problem with Angular, not React or Knockout or vanilla JavaScript or jQuery or something else. Um, and that kind of makes sense because you're you're you typically see these in more of a tactical type of coding environment versus um, whiteboards, which tend to have um, you know tend to be at companies that look that are a little bit more strategic and um, also a little bit more old school because obviously they haven't caught up to the new way of doing things. Um, and that's what this is. The other thing is if you are not being observed, they want to make sure that you don't just copy and paste the first answer that you found on Stack Overflow. So if you do go and look and you're allowed to go look, do not copy and paste. Type the answer out, na name the variables in a meaningful way. Um, look at what, you know, how the problem was solved, but don't necessarily copy and paste it because you will get busted on that. I if have, you're working in a job, don't copy and paste from Stack Overflow. Yes, please. And don't do it from MSDN either. Oh, don't ever do it from MSDN. <laughs> I was about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, well, the thing is, is those kind of examples are built specifically to explain how to do something, but not how to do it in a production environment. So they'll go, okay, you open a database connection, you do some things and you close it, but they won't say, okay, what happens if there's an exception? The, you know, the database connection leaking is not Okay. But, you know, if you look at an MSDN article, that's what you're going to see is stuff that, that will leak because it's not intended to be production code. Now, we'll say one thing that I have seen a mid-level developer do. She would take and copy the code from Stack Overflow in. And comment it out and say, this is what the answer was on Stack Overflow. And Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, she would do that and or she would copy it in and then create a, sec a method below it and work through that code so she didn't have to like back and forth ah i've seen that too yeah i just would be really really cautious mm -hmm. on, on anything like that because th those are not well, they're you, not production code it's that and you're also losing the ability to differentiate yourself because yeah. everybody else has access to that too mm -hmm. so you know, don't give away an advantage even if it saves you just a little bit of time um, it's just not worth it. The other thing that, uh, you know, unobserved tests will do for you is sometimes they'll leave stuff out. This is a really good way to test your skills at communicating in a disconnected environment. So they'll give you part of a problem or it'll be <laughs> oh, yeah, missing I've one little thing. And then you have to communicate back and go, hey, what about this? Mm -hmm. You know, what this thing's returning an object of this type, but I don't know what what's on that object. What does this interface look like? And you, you'll you will forget this when you're coding they either want to see that you can plan ahead and see that or that you know how to ask the questions and get what you need <laughs> or or they just screwed up in writing the question i've yeah. seen that too <laughs> yeah but but you know the thing is they're probably not going to admit they screwed up and they're going to say say it's for one of the other reasons yeah oh yeah that, that, um, they're, they're going to cover themselves on that yeah because the thing is if you call them out on it and do it in a way that this comes back to a little bit of personality and a little bit of like interacting with people. But if you call them out on that in a way that is, hey, I, I need this information to solve the problem. Yeah. And you, you treat it like they are testing you. 
Right. Then they say face if they did oops. Yes. And and it makes you look phenomenal because you caught it. Yeah, or if you go, hey, I really like that trick. That's a good way to do that. Uh, but by the way, what does that object look like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, 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 you know, being able to save face, like you, you'd be surprised how important that is in a corporate environment. People oh, yeah. don't want to hire somebody that's going to undercut them, mm-hmm. especially if they're trying to move up, which they may well be doing if they're doing the interview process. Yeah, that's true. That's very like, true. You know, their boss moved out. They're hiring you to replace them and they're replacing their boss. Like, I don't know how many jobs I've had that have been like that. Now, if you are being observed, um, this is basically just a slightly nicer whiteboarding problem. Um, (laughs) Or the interviewer doesn't know how to do a coding challenge properly. You know, I really, it might be that there is, it's a slightly nicer whiteboarding problem. And that's probably fair to make that assumption. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, and you should, you know, for the benefit of your interviewer. But yeah, that's, it's, it's really weird. Trying to type. The other thing I've I've gotten when I've done this is holy crap, you type loud. Well, you have a mechanical <laughs> keyboard. It's like no, I have a soft keyboard. I just I started on one of those IBM ones that you could beat somebody to death with and then go type a novel. You know, like with the mechanical switches. You remember those? <laughs> yeah, I remember those? <laughs> and I mean, I've had that comment before. And it's like no, I. I'm like, look, I put I put a towel under it. <laughs> no, I, I told you. I'm pretty sure I told you about there is. A place here in town that makes mechanical keyboards. Yeah. Like, we can go to their factory store and get you a high-quality mechanical keyboard that will last you longer than six months. Yeah. Well, I mean, mine have both lasted almost two years. Oh, really? I thought you went through about two a year. Uh, Maybe I got that backwards. Maybe you go through one every two years. No, I normally go through about two a year. For some reason... Not as much here lately. I don't know if it's like oh, less yeah. anger or I mean I jam my fingers on keyboards. Okay, yeah. like that. That's so, hard to type. Oh, I've I've heard you typing. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, the listener has not because I edit that out. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean that's the favorite comment when people overhear it. They're like, "Holy crap! We're gonna have to put this guy like he's gonna have to be in the corner of the basement. We're gonna have to like we need a sound recording booth and we'll just put him in it." There you go. That works. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sometimes an observed coding challenge problem is kind of an attempt to see how you code under pressure. Yeah. And if you ever see this and you you start to kind of understand that, hey, this is what they're going for. You need to think about what that implies. Yeah. Um, Because I've had a few of those where they'll they'll do it and they won't. It's like you'll have 20 minutes to do this thing and it's going to take you 30. And it would Mm -hmm. take a really good coder 30. Yeah. And it's to see how you handle just extreme pressure. Do you take shortcuts? Do you lie? Do you do other stuff? But if they're putting you under that kind of pressure, that's because that's an artifact of their environment. And you need to think about whether you're comfortable dealing with that or not. Some people thrive under pressure. Some people enjoy that kind of pressure. Yeah. It, and if, if that's you, then this might be the right place for you. Just like with the whiteboard problems, you can practice for code challenges. Do code katas. I cannot repeat this enough. Do code katas. This is where they come in most helpful as you're going to be in the same type of environment doing them as you are doing a code challenge. Well, the other thing, too, is if you're doing the code katas and you're optimizing it each time and figuring out how to how to shorten it, kind of like what you did, Uh or you're figuring out your your IDE keystrokes when they go, okay, can you do this? You go and just like, you know, kick that out with a bunch of keystrokes real fast. Especially oh, yeah. with shortcut keys, they just go, ooh. Because Well, the, I, I got asked, are you sure you're a junior developer? Right. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah. That's like Doesn't my, everybody isn't this isn't this coding? Yeah. <laughs> That's like my uh my boss. Um I was doing something in Delphi and I I did a shortcut key combination that I learned because I, I drill. Yeah. And he's like, What'd you just hit <laughs> to do that? And I had to you know, to be honest, I had to go, I I don't know. <laughs> You know, because like I'd done it so much, I'd practiced. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that in an interview, like you talk about being on superior ground, because now you show that, okay, I've been in this IDE long enough that I'm completely comfortable. Oh, yeah, and exactly. To do this, look up common code challenges that are used for interviews and then create your own code codas around them. Yeah. You know, do what, what we were talking about, do what I did or do what Will does, where you take that kata or you take that challenge and you work on the same challenge, making it either simplifying it 
or getting better with your keystrokes or whatever. Whatever the thing is you need to work on. Yeah, and work on that for a couple of weeks and then do another one and then do another one and then go back and redo some. Yeah, and do it every day. Yeah. Um, if, if possible, like you don't need to do just, a, you know, for two or three days and then stop and then interview for six months. Yeah. Like, oh, it's no, not going to help doing you. This, I was doing this while I interviewed. And when I got really serious about interviewing, it wasn't one code kata a day like normal, like, like I do now where I have one code kata that I do for like a week. It was, I set aside a couple of hours and I'd work on one for 30 minutes and another for 30 minutes. And I'd get like four challenges in a day. Yeah, I should have made you just go out and do code katas in the dirt. <laughs> you know, at that point, like you're you're basically being trained to be Zorro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> at least you weren't that mean. Yeah. So some important things to realize in order to win. These are the sorts of tests that don't do a very good job of showing how well you interact with the team. Your interactions with other people don't matter as much on these tests. Yeah. Unless you just really screw up, it's not going to probably make a difference. Or unless they threw a curveball. Yeah. They are highly reliant on your ability to execute and write code that other people like. Your personality doesn't really come into it much. Uh, You'll frequently be given code challenges for jobs where you'll be working alone or, like Will mentioned before, working remote or even leading a team. Right, because if you're the team leader, like if it's if they're looking into more architect type stuff, you know they're they're looking to see that you have a consistent style, that you have a sane way of approaching things, that you don't waste effort. Exactly. So we've discussed the importance of the technical side of interviews, as well as specifics on whiteboard problems and coding challenges. We also talked about how the system isn't perfect, and you can use this to your advantage. The best thing you can do for improving your ability, though, is to practice. For both the whiteboard and code challenges, as well as for answering technical questions during the interview, practice will help you move from terrified to competent to comfortable. You know, before your interview, review questions on the language or framework or whatever you're going to be using. Get into the habit of doing daily code katas. This is something that's really important. Uh, I've repeated it several times because of that. These will help you with both whiteboard and coding challenges. Also, practice explaining the solution to someone, even if they're not a technical person, especially if they're not. You'd be surprised how well you get to know something when you explain it to other people. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I I did say something a little earlier in this episode that's probably... I don't know, unconventional, maybe potentially something that people look at as unethical. And that is that you should use broken systems to your advantage. Um, We've talked about how whiteboard interviews are a sign of a broken hiring process. And we've talked about how coding challenges also uh, frequently are. And the thing about it is, is that broken system is still the system that you're living under. under. Um, You really can't escape it. Until you get to a certain point of skill and marketability, like I think I could probably skip the coding challenges at this point because I think enough people know who I am and the same thing with with you, BJ. But for the average person out there that's not spent a lot of time on their marketing, uh, you're not known well enough to get around that. Um, as a result, you have to face a broken system. Now, do you want, you know, you, you obviously want to make sure your skills are up to a decent level, right? You don't You don't want to get somebody to hire you fraudulently. Um, so get your skills up to an appropriate level, but then look at the process and go, okay, how do I hack this? How do I put myself at an advantage in this broken system? Um, and there's several reasons for that. One is you got to eat. Another reason to exploit broken systems or to twist them to your advantage is that's how broken systems die. If enough people are have figured out how to hack around the broken system, it gets replaced with something better. Whiteboard problems were better than the multiple choice quizzes that we got when I was coming up. Coding challenges are better than whiteboards. Something else will come along. Companies and larger organizations do not learn that their systems are broken until they start feeling consequences for those systems being broken. Other people will be exploiting those systems, and you need to learn to do the same. 
you know, granted, bring bring the skills and the value to the table that you say you're going to bring. Like, I'm not saying lie. I'm saying look at it and go, okay, what are they trying to, what are they trying to test for? How do I make sure that I excel in that? That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with the news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.